listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, June 13th. Good Friday. Oh, Friday the 13th, Jess. Look out. Hopefully the gremlins aren't in my computer. This week, episode 330 is coming to you from Studio D in Central City, Pennsylvania. My name is Radio Joe Hughes, and here with me in the studio at the controls is Jessica Lawson. Good afternoon. Good to have you back, Jess. Oh, she was, uh, we had a little scare this week with Jess, but she's back. Back in the studio C, back in McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania, is my co-host and partner, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Hey, Joe. Hey, Jess. I'm glad you're back in the saddle. We were worried. Oh, nope. I'm good, but thanks. Good day. All right. Good to have you back, Cliff. And and, uh, joining us, I think, will be our technical director, Dr. Dietrich. Wow, I don't see him on yet, but hopefully he'll join us soon. Today's segments include an interview with Chuck Violin. Chuck is the uh, owner and president of Violin Management Associates. We're going to actually, Cliff and I will be at his summit next week. Looking forward to that. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about business and, and making some money as you do this kind of work. You know, we all like to help people out and, um, you know, feel satisfied in the work we do. But if we don't make a little money while we're doing it, it can be, um, you know, we won't be around to help others. Anyway, um, at the end, hopefully we'll bring in Dr. Wow. And before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon, J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, folks, you know where to download the show. Go to iaqradio.com, follow the link that says go to show. We also added a little feature this week. We've been sending a reminder right before the show, and what we're doing is we're adding Cliff's blog to that. I think uh, we're going to focus a lot more on the hard work Cliff does on that blog, and we sent it out as a separate link this week. Hopefully people like that. And, of course, you can download shows from iTunes. Uh, If you want some continuing education credits, we've had a few offers here recently for that. Email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. And last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Check out the Healthy Building Professional Summit. Our guest today, Chuck Violin, will be speaking. We're going to have him bringing up the end of the summit and talking about building a more profitable business. All right, let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, you can text in your answer. Congratulations! Sue Andy Krosowski, Comcast Metal Products, Mars, Pennsylvania, for being first to identify Air Chief Marshal Sir Arthur Tedder as the Deputy Supreme Allied Commander of the Normandy Invasion. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, June 13th, 2014, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check out their website, which is www.trsca.org. Now for this week's trivia question. Name the Austrian-born American management consultant, educator, and author whose writings contributed to the philosophical and practical foundations of the modern business corporation. 
He was also a leader in the development of management education and conceived the concept known as management by objectives. Back to you, Joe. All right. Good to see Andy back in the winner's circle on the trivia question. Hopefully, uh, if somebody's not quick, they won't beat him again this week. (laughs) All right. Today's guest, we've got Chuck Violan. Chuck's a a friend of the show and and a friend of uh, Cliff and I's for uh, Cliff for many years, and uh, I'm happy to know him much better now. Chuck founded Viola Management Associates back in 1988. His objective was to help the owners of restoration and cleaning companies to build profitable businesses and for their long-term business and personal success. Uh, he had also owned a cleaning and restoration company for 27 years, which brought him some firsthand knowledge and experience about the inner workings of the industry. In addition, he has over 25 years' experience consulting to small business owners and their management teams. And I find it interesting that as a history major, which was actually one of my majors in the secondary ed world, uh, he learned that leaders' actions today produce consequences people will live with for years to come, whether it involves nations or businesses. And I thought that was a great way to look at it and, and kind of made me think about things a little differently as well. Chuck's a regular contributor of articles to newsletters and trade publications, including one of our marquee sponsors, Clean Facts, uh, John Donny. I hope you're listening in. And, of course, he's also spoke at many of the trade shows, a lot of different uh, trade shows and entrepreneurial and small business meetings. He's on the board of directors with the Restoration Industry Association, and we're proud to have him on, and we'll be both at the um, his uh Management Summit next week, the Executive Summit in uh, Canton, Ohio, the home of the Pro Football uh, Hall of Fame. Looking forward to that. We'll be bringing a show to you from there, and we've got a a couple interesting guests lined up. All right, let's get some – I think we have some music for Chuck. That's Cliff. Cliff always comes up with the good ones, Chuck. We got you. You got me. All right. Thanks for joining us, as always. I, I'm still know, dancing here, guys. Where does that? Where does that? I know that comes from. Where does that come from? That's Peter Gunn. He's the hired gun. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got the hired gun on here now. Chuck, you guys have way too much fun doing the show, I'll tell you. Uh, you know, you got to enjoy it a little bit. I mean, we've been at this for quite a while, huh, Cliff? We're on eight years, 330 shows, Chuck, and uh, it's great hey. to have you back. It's great to be back. I'm uh, thrilled. Listen, Chuck, why don't we, let's give folks a little bit of background on, you know, how you got started in the business and, and you know, how you got kind of moved over from doing the, the actual cleaning and restoration into helping entrepreneurs improve their business. Well, uh, I've owned businesses since my early 20s, since I got out of school. And, uh, you know, it's been a lot of different ones. I've owned a food processing business, uh, nightclub, contracting company, and then cleaning and restoration company. And I think my fascination has always been building businesses and building people. And so that's always been my my focus. And I was able to leverage the cleaning and restoration business that I had to where it could run without me. And I was able to move off and uh, start my consulting practice. In retrospect, Joe, looking back, it was really a classic example of uh, e-drift on my part. Um, entrepreneurial drift. So, but it worked. <laughs> it worked. It seems like it's working really well. I understand we've got a sellout next week. A whole bunch we of do. people coming to Canton, and I really like the focus on the women in uh, in business that you have. I mean, I, I was there last year, Cliff and I, and I was just I was amazed at how many women you had attending, and I didn't realize oh, yeah. there were that many that ran restoration companies. That's great, and you've yeah. got a special show, just like a special half day, just for them prior to the conference. We do, yeah, all in. Excellent. It's, and I'm really thrilled about the whole thing, too. 
So uh, I, I'm not allowed in the room, but I'm I'm thrilled to have the program. So. <laughs> now wait a minute, how does that work? We look we're not allowed to have a men only one, are we? Ah, I'm still trying to figure that out, Joe. Don't get me started on that one. All right, Cliff, let's go over to you. <laughs> I, I think I know why they won't let him in the room because you know I've learned a long time ago that a woman's place is really in command, and you know when we go to the event, we. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, the women that you have that you know put it together and organize it and, and direct everybody really they, they tend to uh, be very very professional and very very buttoned up and they know that they really know what's going on and they really take care of the details and you know they're very very detail oriented. Uh, let me tell you the the women that I have particularly Karen Tursley who puts this thing together is exactly that person and she does a marvelous job. Well, I, I guess, what exactly do you do you know, in your business? Are you a coach? Are you a consultant? Are you, you know, the hired gun that has to come in and give people the bad news? Uh, you know, what exactly is it, or is it more than one thing? Great question, Cliff. Uh, it, is, it's, it is more than one thing. Uh, we're a coach uh, in the sense that we work with our clients to make, uh, to help them gain the skills to be better at what they do, leading businesses. We're consultants in that because we're outside the company, we're able to look at it objectively, unemotionally, and see issues that perhaps they can't see. Because we've been here before, we can advise them on steps to take, remedies to bring, to help improve their businesses. So in that sense, we're consultants. Uh, hired gun... Perhaps that's maybe hired gun. I think in some ways it's kind of a cattle prod. Uh, you know, our job, part of our job is accountability. And it's just keeping the organization moving forward, keeping the owner growing so that his business follows him. A lot of that has to do with counseling, counselors. You know, in terms of this accountability uh, that, you know, you, that you look for within the business, um, do you also keep track and account for your own accountability with the owner? I mean, do you show him what progress has been made and, you know, do you chart that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are a couple tools that we use that we give our clients so that it's no secret. I mean, they need to be able to see it on a regular basis, either weekly or monthly, as we do. And then we evaluate that. You know, some of it's financial reports. Uh, we use a particular tool we call a flash report that tracks several different KPIs in an organization. Um, but it also has to do with the people and the progress that the people in the organization are making, including the owner. And if they're not moving forward, if they're not growing, then the business is never going to move forward. So, yeah, we track that all the time with them. You use this term KPI. Can you just tell me what it means? I apologize. Yep. Uh, KPI, key performance indicators. Okay. You know, there's a lot of different kinds of key performance indicators within a business. Some are financial, some aren't. But, and again, a lot of them are determined by what the issues are that a client has going on at the time. And so you just track on how you improve on those. Joe? Chuck, I, I was over in um, Australia for about 10 days, and we were dealing with uh, at Jenny Boymel's um, Mold and Restoration Conference. It was really nice. They had about 180 people there. It was a big conference, well done. But anyway, in talking to a lot of the restoration contractors over there, they, were, they seemed to be struggling um, in that the insurance industry has really clamped down on the, on the pricing and it's almost as if they're getting less per man hour back than what they're paying out. And they're, I assume they have to be kind of innovative in, in finding ways to make money. I guess it's a long intro into a pretty simple question. What, what kind of money are, are well-run disaster restoration business owners in the U.S. making today? Joe, I think there's several different variables that, that play into that. Naturally, the size of the company is going to be one. You know, if you're if you're running a half million dollar company, and you're not gonna you're not gonna make a million dollars in taxable income. But if you take a look at you know companies that that grow to a, a reasonable size, what we look at is helping them hit um, 
maximum profitability. And it's common with the guys that we work with and the ladies that we work with that that they're going to fall into the top 5%. We try to get them into the top 5% of the income earners in North America, which is 150000 For companies that have larger organizations, we certainly want to get them into that, that top 1% that everybody talks about. And that's a quarter of a million dollars or higher in taxable personal income. Now, I will tell you that many of the companies we work with, again, particularly the larger ones, are significantly higher than that. And we have guys that get into seven figures uh, in taxable income before they go and figure out how to legally and ethically <laughs> reduce their tax obligation. But, I mean, it, a lot of it really comes back to what they want and what they want out of it. And it's their uh, understanding of money and income. And, you know, then you get into the whole worthiness thing. But that's where we try to go. I mean, those, if that's where the client wants to go, we work to get them up there, and we see that they do get up there. Well, in this new world of, I don't know how new it is, I mean, in the last five years anyway, and I see more of an emphasis of uh, with third-party administrators, and I hear some people complain that it's harder and harder to make that kind of money. Are your folks telling you the same thing? Oh, yeah, margins are getting squeezed. Okay. Yeah, margins are getting squeezed. You know, but at the, at the same time, I think that you were alluding to it just a moment ago. Money is money is out there to be made. And if you're going to choose to go to a TPA, okay, then that's the choice that you've made as a business owner. And one of the beauties of owning your own business is that you get to pick who you do business with. And if you're going to go that route, that's fine. And we have a lot of guys who do that. So now let's determine the strategies that we need to adopt in order to continue to make money and stay in business and have the lifestyle that we want. Gotcha. If you choose not to, then we go that direction. Gotcha. Cliff? Yes. Uh, Chuck, is it necessary? You know, it, it seems to me that, you know, you talked about the different businesses that you ran. You got into consulting at what I'm going to call a relatively young age. Yeah. And you now most likely are coaching clients who have bigger businesses than the businesses that you had, you know, started and sold or moved out in. Oh, heck yeah. Is it necessary for a successful business coach and consultant to have started and built a successful business before becoming a business coach? That's a, that's a, that's a really uh, great question. I, I think, is it necessary? No, I don't think it's necessary for that to happen. Do I think that having owned a business before, does that give me uh, different insights into the issues that that entrepreneur is working with? Absolutely. At the same time, having guys who consult uh, in my organization, who consult, who have not owned a business, brings insights to our clients that I can't bring them, having been a business owner for a long time. My wife points out to me frequently as I'm making comments about our organization here at Violin Management, uh, it's not uncommon for her to say, Chuck, it's been a long time since you've been an employee. <laughs> <laughs> and so I need, I need that, um, that viewpoint. And so not having, for the guys who have not been owners, they can bring that viewpoint that I can't have. Got so it. I don't think that it is necessary. Okay. But it's nice to have that team approach as well. I mean, you've got, I yeah. don't know, six, eight people now on the staff, maybe more. Yep. And how many uh, out of that group? Uh, several, I think, and I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, have owned their own business. Uh, two besides myself. Okay. So three yep. of you have. And then, yep. then of, of course, you have some people, too, that have been in academia. Yes. And yeah, several of them have taught. That's a little... and, uh, couple con uh, one continues to teach. I see. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's about these entrepreneurs that you get. Um, are, are are these entrepreneurs sort of like men? And and you know, we only ask for directions when we're running out of gas or when we've exhausted all other <laughs> possibilities. Yeah. Um, yeah. Entrepreneurs are are interesting people, and I'm an entrepreneur. Um. We like to figure, you know, we like to figure things out on our own. That's, I think, one of the things that makes us entrepreneurs. 
And so it's not uncommon for us to over-focus on things when probably we should be looking beyond ourselves. Um, I don't know that they necessarily run out of gas. Perhaps they just, not only do they run out of answers, but I think a lot of times they don't know the right questions to ask. They recognize that. And so that's about the time that they that we get a phone call or that we get into a conversation with somebody at a trade show. And they're just exploring. Uh, you know, I, I, we asked, I, I talked to you about speaking at our conference this year. We have a small gathering here in the mountains of Pennsylvania. We, we call it the summer break. It This year it's at Seven Springs, which is a ski resort up here. And I asked you to come over before I ask you this question, assuming I know the answer. So maybe you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. Um, are some of the business principles, or many of them even, that you teach, are these applicable to any type of business? So would, would some of the things you teach now to your restoration people also be applicable to people who do indoor environmental consulting or who uh, maybe do building science consulting or who maybe are um, in some other type of uh, construction? Joe, almost all of the issues are, are applicable across business uh, lines. If you think about it, you know, businesses are about people, and those people are employees, they're owners, they're customers. They're about people. And what you do with that business, the service you provide, the products that you create and sell, that's just one piece of the business. The thing that really makes the move forward are the people. And the people issues transcend different types of businesses. If I have management issues in a restoration company, I'm going to have management issues, similar management issues in an environmental business or in a manufacturing business or distribution. So, yeah, I mean, they are the same. When you go to the owner, you go to the executive, the CEO, or the entrepreneur, however you want to title him, the, I mean, the similarities in the issues that we deal with are, are profound. And we're human beings. And so, yeah, they're very similar, and they transport across businesses and across industries. Well, and, you know, I when I attended one of the sessions last year that you taught at, at your um, executive summit there, that's what got me thinking. Absolutely, these these things they're interchangeable. It doesn't matter who, what kind of business you have. I, I remember you told the story about, or you asked us to, asked us to think about the first time we had money and our first like experience with money, and then you talked about how that can influence the way you treat money for the rest of your life. And I remember you know thinking about that real you know, intently. And it was like, wow, this, this would really apply to any business. So uh, we're looking forward to having you this year. Cliff, let me turn it over to you because this next question we talked about, I'm not sure what you meant by that. And I'd like you to kind of uh, frame it for me. Okay. Well, actually what I was thinking is that you have a lot of clients that come to you with a category of problems, and I was trying to figure out exactly which category of business problem is the most common. Wow. <laughs> what category of business problem is the most common? Cliff, I'm going to throw a question back at you. Okay. Are you is Are you looking for how does it show up? Or what's the source of the problem? I think if you if you look at how does it how does it manifest itself in the business? How do I see that issue in the business? Typically, it's going to show up in poor financial performance. I mean, many times um, that's the first place that the entrepreneur is going to see it. I'm out of cash. I'm out of profits. I mean, you know, it just it hurts. That's where the pain point is. Rarely is that. I'm not sure it's ever that that is the source of the problem. The source of the problem goes much deeper, and so it typically has to do with the entrepreneur, regardless of the size of the organization. I mean, I'm sure, the, you know, hundreds of million-dollar companies, perhaps not, but because then you're into a team, but for companies doing, you know, $50 million, it still revolves around that entrepreneur. And what are the issues that he is struggling with? Because it's manifesting itself in the business. And that's where we that's where we see it, but that usually isn't the source of the problem. So has he stopped growing? 
Does he not understand something that he needs to understand? I don't know if that made sense. No, I think, I think it really made a lot of sense, and I think that you may have answered the question earlier when you commented about that, that businesses were about people, whether it's about owners, whether it's about customers, whether it's about uh, employees, you know, so on and so forth. So I think that the answer was already there. But what I'd like to do is a lot of restoration people that I know, you know successful ones, uh, have been and still are cowboys. <laughs> I mean, these guys are gunslingers if there ever was one. And I don't mean NRA. I mean, these are guys that are just, you know, they're, they're pure, unadulterated entrepreneurs that like to make choices and, you know, can make really, really quick decisions. And a lot of these guys are A-type personalities who have pretty big egos. And I'm wondering how you deal with an A-type personality with a big ego who has difficulty taking constructive criticism or hearing the truth. Cliff, at the, at the end of the day, that is probably the most difficult issue of working with entrepreneurs, is dealing with their egos. Hmm. And, you know, the ego, uh, the starting point that we look at is trying to see how that ego manifests itself. I think the, the way that we most frequently see it is we see arrogance. Um, we see a swagger, if you will, boastfulness, that kind of thing. And those are classic examples or manifestations of an ego, a big ego. But they're not the only ones. I think a lot of times we also manifest it with defensiveness or fear we're afraid that people might find out about us and that we're not as smart or as good as we actually try to portray that we are. So we have to recognize that through conversations, through working with them, getting to know our clients. How do I best approach this ego? If an employee does it incorrectly, a lot of times they'll end up with former in front of their title. <laughs> and, you know, we don't want that to happen. And so a lot of times it gets down, it's, it's a long process, but a lot of times it gets down to just helping them talk through why they engage in the behavior or helping them see how their ego is going to play out in the company. Helping them see how they're perceived by other people. Yeah. This is where we get into the whole emotional intelligence part of working with our clients. Is self-awareness. I see. Okay. And, you know... I'm sure a lot of these people that do end up coming to you, they're they're kind of in distress. You know, they a lot of times the people don't want to hire an outside person to come in and help with their business until they they find that they've hit a wall and they can't fix it. What are some of the common problems that the most common, I guess, problems that um, you find with the folks that have waited until the last minute to come in and help you out or to to get you to help them out? Joe, I think a lot of times it gets, uh, again, it shows up in numbers in the business, but that usually isn't the issue. That's, that's just the scorecard. Uh, I think a lot of times what it gets down to, the issues that it gets down to is they don't know how to get the most out of the people they have in their organizations. Okay. Uh, typically managers. Uh, most entrepreneurs, quite frankly, are lousy managers. We, we are. Uh, many of us prefer not working with other people. We work with other people because it's a means to an end. As a result, we struggle with managing and getting performance out of other people. And it shows up in the numbers. We get frustrated. We get impatient. So I think, that that, I think that that's one of them. I think the other one is that many entrepreneurs recognize, either instinctively or, or intellectually, that, they, that their companies are beyond their skill set. Some of them recognize the fact that they are gunslingers, like Cliff was saying, and that if they're serious about moving their business to a different level, however they define that, that they're going to have to grow and they're going to have to develop skills and disciplines beyond what they have right now. And they recognize that, but they don't know how to get that. And that's why they come to us. Hmm. And well, when they've got a crisis, you know, they're in crisis, they come to you, do you kind of help them put out some of these fires? Is that something that, you know, you, you do? And I'm, I guess I guess even more importantly, 
when you're in crisis and, and, and we're talking about people come to you, they have financial issues. How do you get them to, you know, spend more money? I mean, I, I assume your services aren't free, uh, you know. So, uh, how do you get Sometimes them to... it feels that way, Joe. <laughs> I mean, you like start them out at a lower rate and then build it up. How do you how do you get them to be able to do that? No, our rates are fixed. Okay. Um, typically, when we start working with a client, you know, they don't go up. If if we're going to renegotiate the work that we're doing with them, okay, then we, we may adjust the price up or down just depending on where they are. Um, so if the question was, I'm trying to remember the question here, Joe, if the question was, um, how do they, how can they afford to pay us if they're in financial distress? And I think a lot of times it just gets down to that pain issue. Yeah. Um, you know, they've worked themselves into this situation and yeah, do we have to put fires out? You bet. And sometimes it's just helping them understand that you know, there are some purchases that we shouldn't be making right now, even though you feel like you should. Let's reconsider it. Let's keep the money, keep the cash in the business. Let's get more aggressive with collecting cash. Which would also help Let's them get... pay you. Absolutely right. Okay. okay. But at the end of the day, Joe, if look, our fees should be invisible. Sure. I mean, our job is to help them make more profits than they were making before they came to work with us. Great. All right. Let me I'll tell you what. It looks like it's about... Yeah, we're at halftime, Chuck. I'm gonna, we're going to take a little break. We want to thank our sponsors because we need to be able to stay on the, on the air and make make a living as well. Uh, I want to also say hi to, I hope Randy Nunley tuned in with Gray Wolf. We've been using the sensing solution a lot here lately. Randy, thanks for the uh, nice email about the reminders. We'll be back in about two minutes with Chuck Violin, Violin Management Associates. We're talking about how to make your business more profitable, and we're going to go into a little more detail on that after the break. Thanks to our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanclenfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. This is Radio Joe back with Chuck Viola and Chuck for the second half. I want to focus a little more on the you know the fixes, the things that people can do without hiring you. You know, as much as we'd love to have them hire you, we also want to make sure we give them some some good advice while we're on the radio show here. What are some of the easier business fixes. I mean, you mentioned earlier, and I thought that was interesting. It sounds like one of the first things you look at is, are, are, are we spending money on things we don't need to do? Um, is that one of the easier ones, or is that one of the harder ones? And what are some of the easier ones? Yeah, that can be an easy one, Joe, as long as they're not emotionally attached to those purchases. Uh, I think some of the easiest, as, as uh, crazy as it might sound, some of the easiest business fixes are profitability. You know, profitability that's caused by operations. If there's just inefficiencies in the operation someplace, those are pretty quick. And you see instant, you see instant progress, which is really nice, and it's good for the client. If you look at difficult ones, uh, I'm going to go back to the comment we were talking about before. 
the ego issues. Um, if an owner is tied up in his ego and he's making business decisions based on that ego, then those business decisions aren't going to change until his ego changes. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have an ego. I mean, you, you do. You want to have a healthy one. It's when it gets out of control. And it's unfortunate, but and I make this comment when I speak to audiences that when the ego is out of control, it is not an issue of whether the business will fail. The business will fail. It's just a question of when it will fail. Hmm. I mean, over and over we see that Collins writes about it. So, I mean, it happens. So you've really got to get it under control. With respect to profitability, um, what other things do you look for, you know, up front, you know, when you first get someone in, I imagine there's some low-hanging fruit. Uh, what are the common low-hanging fruit areas you see that people could, you know, is it, uh, do we have to change the personnel? Do we have to change the marketing? Do we refocus our, our expenses for, you know, equipment, uh, et cetera? What, what's typical low-hanging fruit? Joe, you were hitting on a lot of them, actually. Um, and a lot of it really goes back to the people. And not just do I need to swap somebody out. Do I have the wrong person here? That's the last thing you want to find. I mean, you know, sometimes you do have to make those changes. What you want to take a look at first, though, is has the person been shown what they're responsible for? Do they know how to do their job? Do they know how, what accountabilities they have? And a lot of times what we discover is that they don't. And, and again, you go back to the entrepreneur. <clears throat> I'm not slamming entrepreneurs. It's just this is who we are, myself included. Have I taken the time to teach this person this and follow it up to make sure? And while entrepreneurial behaviors are great at quick starts and getting things launched, one of the, the flip side of that is that frequently we're not good with following through on things, especially for extended period of time. So that means that I may not follow up with the people who are working for me to make sure that they're continuing to do things the way that it needs to be done. And things fall through the cracks. We get inefficient. And so by helping somebody better understand what they're supposed to be doing, usually you can see improvements. Sometimes it is with marketing, sometimes with cash flow, sometimes with operations, how efficiently we're doing projects. So, I mean, you work with all those things. I got a text question, and I want to ask uh, for the listener here, any tips on hiring more, high, better high-performing employees and then trying to keep them? Yeah, the place you start with, Joe, that's really good. The, the, the place you start with hiring high-performing employees is looking internally, not looking externally. High performers are out there. They're all over the place, and they're attracted to a certain place. They're attracted to a high-performing organization. And so that high-performing organization starts with the CEO. And so if we want to attract and keep high performers, then we need to create a high-performing culture within our organization. And that gets down to how we learn, the disciplines we've established, the focus we have, um, all of those things internally that attract A players, we call them A players, or high performers to our organization, and then puts them into a culture where they can flourish, where they can grow, where they can... You know, high performers like to perform. They, they like to compete and win. And so you want that culture where they can do that. And that's, sometimes that's difficult for entrepreneurs who uh, like to be the smartest guy in the room all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to be the smartest guy in the room all the time, you're not giving anybody else a voice, and you're not going to keep very good people for very long. And then there's a follow-up, but I'm going to... Um, yeah, let's, let's do that now. We were talking about, you know, profitable growth. The listener asked about any tips for sustaining that profitable growth. You know, you get the people up and you get them starting to grow. What are some tips for how you help people sustain that growth? Uh, the short answer on that, Joe, is uh, two words, focus and execution or focus and discipline. Uh, the, the first thing is to focus, and that means write it down and then communicate that one or maybe two or three 
things that we need to be focused on in order to make our business move forward. And I mean focus on it, laser. Hmm. And then the other part is the discipline to execute consistently. So once we have it, once we have that focus, call it a vision, call it a plan, whatever you want, and you're communicating it to the key people in your organization, those high performers you were talking about, okay, now let's consistently execute on this thing. And that requires discipline. And you know, the follow-through, the consistent execution, to make sure that we're achieving the things that we want to be achieving. And if we're not, then we need to figure out why aren't we and make changes there. And if we are, then we celebrate it. Okay. Cliff, let me turn it over to you. I, I haven't given you a chance here for a minute. Okay. Chuck, are there any business matters that you and your firm prefer not to provide guidance on? And if so, what are they? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, we're not marriage counselors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but sometimes we start, you know, you start treading into that area because a lot of the businesses small businesses in general, but I think particularly in restoration and cleaning industries, have family members in the business. And while we, we may touch on those areas and try to create clarity of roles, uh, we're not counselors. Uh, while we touch on financial issues in the business very tightly, we're not accountants. And a lot of times you get involved in legal issues, and we're not attorneys. And so we will strongly recommend and help them um, contract with highly competent attorneys and accountants and insurance guys and counselors if they need them. Cliff, do you, do you have another one you want me to go? Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Okay. Um, Chuck, I, I want to go back and, and talk a little bit about, you know, the fee structure and I mean, if someone is in financial crisis, how do you know that they have the money to pay you? Um, well, having the money to pay us is half of the equation. You can tell if they have the money to pay us by taking a look at, you know, at their financials and their balance sheet and income statements. And, and cash flow report and see, okay, is cash there short term? Because ideally within a couple of months, they ought to be having this thing turned around and moving forward to where they can afford to pay us easier than they can right now. That's half of it though, Cliff, um, you know, looking at, at reports. The other half really is talk to me about the guy who's running the business. Who's the guy that made the phone call and how ready is he to change? Because in spite of the fact that you may have people coming to us who have sometimes serious, I mean, they're in serious financial straits. If they're not willing to change their behavior, if they're not willing to listen to somebody else, then let's not even engage. And, and I don't care if you've got a pot full of money or not, let's not engage until you're ready for that. So it gets down to our, the individual's willingness to grow and move forward. Yeah, the reason that, that I asked the question is there was a time in my business where we were having very, very serious financial trouble, and I really didn't know what to do, and I did not call a consultant. I actually received a telephone call, and what they told me was that they would come in and uh, you know, do an analysis uh, of my business, and what they told me on the telephone was they guaranteed that um, they would fix the business. Wow. Okay. They absolutely guaranteed it and said that if they didn't fix the business, that I didn't have to pay them. Okay. The question is, what they didn't tell me is whether or not they were willing to accept me as a client or not. Mm. Okay. And they came in. They... Um, you know, ran a bunch of numbers. A couple of people were talking on a, uh, you know, the, the guy that came out, you know, chatted by telephone or whatever. And they decided that, number one, they could fix the business. 
that number two, they guaranteed me that if I didn't have the money to pay them, then I didn't have to pay them. Wow. And they fixed the business. And, you know, privately I'll tell you uh, who they were because that to me was a fabulous consulting experience. I think I know who they were, Cliff, but I'm not going to say it here. I, I have a feeling I know who they were. Okay. I can almost assure you that what they were doing while they were there was evaluating you. Even though they weren't doing any assessments on you, they wanted to know Cliff Zlotnick. And is Cliff willing to do the things that he needs to? Does he have the, um, I'll use the word money maturity, to reverse this thing and to start making money? And that's why they took you, in spite of all the financial analysis. Hmm. Yeah, that was my good experience. That's good. And then I had an absolutely horrible experience with another one, and then privately I'll share that one too, <laughs> uh, it, it, as well. And you may or may not be surprised uh, at the second one, but uh, in, in any event, uh, it, it, it's it, it's interesting. So uh, you know, I can. I, you know, although you and I have never worked together, you know, right. in business on a consulting basis, I mean, I can certainly be testimony for the fact that it really can fix things very, very quickly. And in our situation, it was really a cash flow problem that we were really not aggressively uh, collecting the money. And, you know, we got more aggressive and we changed a couple of policies and, so on and so forth. And, you know, three times in my career, uh, I've used consulting services. One was horrible. The other two, uh, you know, were very, very good. And it was three different people because I think I had three different issues going on. But and I think what happens is people in the restoration business, or really in any business, I think you get to a plateau where you're okay with running the business, and then things change. You know, oh, yeah get another level of volume and everything changes and you know can you make that transition uh, is I think where a lot of people have difficulty Cliff, that's exactly what it is right there the model we use when we when we consult with clients doesn't matter the industry we use a basic Venn diagram three intersecting circles and we call it the sustained profitable growth model and the one, the one circle is the business dynamic. That's where you feel the cash flow or the profitability or the turnover in people or new customer acquisition. That's where you feel that, the sales. That's the metrics to where the KPIs are that you can typically see. Then you have the other circle, and that's the people dynamic. That's where the people are within your organization, depending on the size of the company. Sometimes in smaller companies, it's one or two techs. As the business grows, you move into supervision, management, leadership, these kind of things. And then you go up to that third dynamic, the one at the top, and that's the executive. And you're, you're spot on with your comment. As your business grows, those three dynamics grow and shrink in size. And the key is you're growing to sustain profitable growth is to try to keep some semblance of balance with them. And if one of them grows disproportionately fast to the, to the other two, you're going to stall. At some point, the business will stall, and that's what you were describing. And so somebody had to grow. Hmm. Chuck, over, well, over many years in, in consulting, what are some of the hardest things you had to do when you were consulting with some of these other companies? I think fire them uh, uh, or get fired. I think those were those are the most difficult things when you've got to fire somebody because you realize that they're not executing. They've reached stall. They've reached a, a personal stall or bottleneck, however you want to describe it. They're not growing and learning anymore. They're not willing to continue to do the things that they need to do in order to move their business forward to where they say they want it to go. And so then all it becomes is just um, a relationship where they're, sending checks to us, but they're not making any progress. And while that might feel, you know, that might feel good short term, it, that's not what we're about. And it's not what any relationship should be about. And then the other one is where we get fired. Uh, we get, where we get fired at the wrong time. 
Mm. I don't think you should ever engage. It's our philosophy that you don't ever engage in a consulting relationship uh, for forever. I mean, there are some clients that we've worked with for many years, and we enjoy those relationships. The businesses are growing, and so they're dealing with better issues and bigger issues. But when we're, when you're fired, when we get fired for the wrong reasons, and it isn't it doesn't usually have to do with money. It has to do with the fact that they're not executing, and they're saying, you know what, or they're they're not willing to listen or explore options to grow their business, and then they just they fire you because they don't want to expend the energy to do it. And you realize, what a shame, because you've got a lot of lives involved here, and you have opportunities that are, that are not going to be realized or may not be realized. That's hard. I'll bet. Cliff, do you have another one? You want me to take it? Uh, I, I do. How do you select, when, when you get a new client, Chuck, do you... Does your whole team work with that client, or you know, how, how does your process work? Do you have like a lead consultant, or are you the lead consultant on every you know with every client? How exactly does this work? If I'm going to have to check my office here to see if you've been bugging my office, <laughs> you're using terms that we use internally here. Uh, yeah, it's it's very common that we have more than one consultant uh, working with a client, and we do we use the word lead consultant. Uh, the one, the, the lead consultant is responsible for the overall performance of the company, of the, of the client company. They're the ones primarily who track the numbers, they track the progress of the people, they track the company toward their strategic plan. That's their job. Part of their job then is to coordinate the activities of the other consultants that we get involved with them, with that client, to make sure that that those accountabilities, our accountabilities, are being met in working with that client. Are they, are they with them uh, when they're supposed to be with them? Are they making the progress in that specific area um, that we said that we were going to be making? So they coordinate that. So, and that's, that's one of the reasons that we built the business the way that we did. We wanted to bring expertise, deep expertise, in a lot of different functional areas of a business functional areas being accounting and finance, being sales and marketing, being uh, HR, uh, employee development, and operations. And so we'll bring, we'll bring those guys or ladies in as we feel that it's best for the client. Did that answer that question? No, no, it, it did. I just wasn't sure exactly. And, you know, we talked about performance and we talked about you know, compensation. How exactly do you, if you don't mind, how do you compensate your consultants for working with the clients? If if the clients are doing well and doing exceptionally well, you know, uh, you know, overachieving and so on and so forth, is that reflected in the compensation of your consultant, the, you know, the lead consultant on that particular project? Um, not directly. Uh, at the end of it, they are, uh, our consultants are compensated a couple of different ways. One is with salary, and the other one is, in addition to that, there's performance, uh, there's compensation based on client load or revenue streams. However, and that's what I'm saying indirectly, because if a client is not performing or is not satisfied with the service, even if they're performing, they're not satisfied with the service that we're delivering, they're going to leave us. And that will directly affect the, com the compensation of that consultant or group of consultants. So it's incumbent on them not only to have the company perform, but to have us perform with them in that they're all growing and feeling good about the growth that they're having so that they stay with us longer. Okay. Cliff, you want I got a, I got a text from a listener that I've missed. And I'm not sure I, I quite understand the question. Maybe you do, uh, Chuck. Let's see. It was about sales. Where'd that one go, Jess? Um, okay. First of all, they said it was a great show. Uh, that's not it, I don't think. Let me see. Um, sales, growth, cash flow. No, the one that said about sales matrix or metrics. There it is. Um, I would like Chuck to discuss matrix on sales staff. I don't know if that's matrix or metrics. Which would make more sense to you, Cliff? Metrics. I mean, Chuck, 
Matrix? Probably metrics. Metrics, yeah. What what kind of metrics do you uh, recommend for sales staff? Well, that's a broad question. Yeah. Um, How about if we just – I don't we just say this. Um, you know, when you – a lot of these restoration companies, they have a sales guy that, that assists them. What are some of the key points that you have your clients, you know, watch for or uh, implement uh, processes, whatever, to to help with the sales function? And that, okay, now that's narrowing it down, which is nice. Uh, you know, it always starts with your plan, Joe. You know, tell me what tell me what the goal is. Okay, we're trying to increase sales X number of dollars within this market segment with this type of customer. Um. So we start with that, so that the salesperson and the entrepreneur have the same target. And we make a huge mistake, as entrepreneurs, business owners, we make a huge mistake when we don't take the time to define that crystal clear. A number, okay, a name on a market. So you start with that, then you say, okay, how many people are we calling on? What are the conversations that we're having based on what that particular market group or that customer, what their needs are, what we feel their key issues are, are we having those important conversations, how many are we having, and then you follow not just the calls that you're making and the appointments you're having, but you go, go right up the chart, how many presentations am I making, you know, depending on the market you're going after, mm-hmm. how many presentations am I making, how deep is the relationship getting? But I will tell you, maybe this is what he was getting at, what the, what the writer was getting at, was that too many times I have seen where the owner or the salesperson doesn't uh, have enough activity, especially at the outset, and they expect a higher return on too small of an activity level. And so I would rather have them making tons of calls on a bunch of people that, are, you know, that may not work out, but we can vet those out. And we can fill it in with people who will work out. But you've really got to throw a lot of stuff against the wall first. Hmm. I've got a personal one, Chuck. Maybe this is, you know, in this day and age, we do a lot of, uh, we try to do a lot of marketing by the, by the Internet and, you know, email, et cetera. And, um, I get a lot of advertisements for marketing lists, you know, for people that are, uh, you know, Building managers, let's take uh, an example, um, people along those lines. Uh, in your opinion, how, you know, uh, I assume they vary in um, how how good they are, but can you give us any tips on, on that kind of marketing and and whether it's worth our while to go ahead and, you know, purchase a marketing list, and if so, what to look for in the company that's selling that to you? Well, it can be helpful. Uh, I think it depends on the size of the company, the size of your company. I think it can also involve the geographic, um, the geographic footprint that you have for your company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you have a big geographic footprint or you're doing several millions of dollars, yeah, getting a list can be very helpful. And you can start to soften the field ahead of making a call. But I will tell you that for most, for most uh, guys in this industry, guys doing half a million dollars up to $10 million, $15 million in revenue, um, you can do exactly the same thing or close to the same thing on the Internet or just, you know, on your own or just out visiting people, visiting your market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just doing the research on the Internet, trying to find the right people, then making yeah. a call, getting in, getting the appointment. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And that that's, on, that's an interesting uh, point. Uh, what if you've got a bigger market? You know, uh, you're, you're actually national in scope. And um, maybe you're not necessarily a huge company, but you're, you know, you service building owners and you kind of specialize in that area. Is it kind of the same advice? Well, if, if, you're, if you have a national footprint or even a regional footprint, you're going to find list. You can find list very helpful because it's going to save a whole bunch of time. And you're typically going to have a sales manager at that point. And the sales manager is going to be able to manage the sales people and the direction they're going, the people they're contacting, much better that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, Cliff, before I, we're getting a little late, uh, I don't want to go over too much, and we're not going to do the roundup, obviously. Do you have a final question for Chuck? I do, and it's really a philosophical question. And um, I'm really not sure how it 
affects your particular business. There's some occupations, Chuck, that, you know, medicine is one, uh, art conservation is another, where the person providing the service, either the art conservator or the physician, uh, is trying to do their job, and what their fee is for that job has doesn't reflect on the client's ability to pay for it. You know, for instance, if they're you know doing brain surgery on Donald Trump or doing brain surgery on an indigent person, uh, the fee structure uh, is the same, and you know, art conservators. Uh, you know, basically charge X amount per square inch of what they're working on, regardless of, you know, if it's a Picasso or it's, uh, you know, something done by, you know, your, your, your kid when, when they're in trades. <laughs> what is your business philosophy? Do you charge more to clients that can afford to pay more? Or do you have the same fee schedule? You know, you, you know what your costs are, you, you know, uh, how do you do it? Yeah, no, that's, that's a good question. No, we don't charge more for customers that we think can afford it. Now, frequently, the guys who can afford it are larger organizations that are not in distress. And the reason they're hiring us is to make an already good company outstanding, in which case it may involve more um, involvement on our part. So the fee structure is going to be higher not because they can afford it, but just because of the, the time that's involved. Whereas a company that it might be smaller and uh, be more in financial distress, you know, those issues you can pretty much work through fairly, fairly quickly. So the fee is going to be less. But to them, it might feel like more. Okay. Chuck, before we go, is there anything that, that you'd like to add? I mean, we, we still have about eight or ten questions here that we just didn't get to, and, and quite a few of them are on women business, women business owners, but it just, the the interview took its own kind of direction here, so I want, I want to make sure that um, there's if there's something we missed or anything you'd like to add, I want to give you that last uh, option on this. Yeah, I don't really have anything profound that uh, that I had planned to add at this thing, Joe. I appreciate you asking. I, look, I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you guys. Uh, I always enjoy this. This is nice, and I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys next week. Well, we. Oh uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to telling you the stories. I think you'll. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing them. Yeah. I, you know, I, in general, I, I think that. Uh, you know, one way or another, you know, it'll give you uh, client insight. And, you know, it's, it's like that third-party, uh, you know, client insight. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, I think what we'll do is we'll wrap it up here. Um, it's been really a lot of fun. And, you know, every time I have you on, Chuck, and, and some of the other business people we've had on, I obviously you, you reflect on your own business and and mistakes that you make and, and things that you may do right. And um, I think everybody benefits from these kind of shows and these kind of conversations. And we really appreciate having you on and being as open and candid as you are about, you know, how Viola and management handles some of these uh, business issues. And I just want to thank you again for joining us and look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. It's very nice. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen out there in uh, radio world, this is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks again to this week's guest, Chuck Violin, to Violin Management Associates. Uh, just Google Chuck Violin. It comes right up there, uh, Violin Management. Um, the show next week is sold out, but there's always next year. I also want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Always great to be it with you, It was a Cliff. really fun show today, Joe. A lot of fun with that. Uh, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil, must have been playing tennis or something today because he wasn't able to join us, but uh, look forward to talking to him next week from uh, out at the the summit. And also I want to thank our, our engineer, Jessica Lawson. Great job, Jess. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners out there. Uh, good Good to have a nice group on, a lot of conversation going. Uh, thanks for the nice notes of, of appreciation for what Chuck did here. Uh, next week, we'll be joining you live from the Violin Management Summit. We're going to have a, a group of people on. We're going to do a little roundtable. We haven't quite finalized everyone. 
I know Jeff Cross from Clean Facts is going to join us, and I'm sure we'll have some people from Chuck's staff if we can free them up. So the Z-Man and I will be coming to you remote from Canton. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. You've been talking in circles.